Hey there, podcast listeners. Just a quick announcement before we launch into this week's show. Alleged lesbian activities, a denim-clad, glitter-crusted power ballad performance of local queer histories premieres this week right here in New Orleans. Alleged lesbian activities invites audiences into new ways of engaging with and complicating LGBTQ history. This work-in-progress presentation merges the queer traditions of cabaret, burlesque, and drag with original movement, oral history, audio interviews, and theatrical stagings. The performance runs January 14th, 15th, and 16th at 8 p.m. right here in New Orleans at the Theater on St. Claude. For ticketing information, please visit our website at lastcalnola.org. Thanks for supporting us. We're looking forward to seeing you there. And now, on with the show. The first time Diane Schneider went into a lesbian bar was on her 18th birthday. My sister Charlene said, we're going to go to this bar named Village Inn. And I, I was excited, you know, but shy. And so we went, and like I was at, they had booths, you know, with tables, if I, if I remember right. And I was in, up against the wall in the corner, you know, not being all shy. And I remember it was very dark. And I think women were dancing, I really don't remember. And the, the cops came in. They raided it. They took all the gay people and put them in a paddy wagon. There must have been about at least 30 women. You're listening to Last Call, a podcast about New Orleans' disappearing dyke bar scene. In all honesty, Diane and Charlene shouldn't have been in the village inn that night. Their friend Ellen had warned them. Her dad was a cop. He didn't want any of his friends to find out that I was gay. So he would tell me when the places were going to be raided where I wouldn't be caught in it. You know, so Charlene wouldn't have gotten busted, you know, because I called up and told her that was the night they all got busted. And then they let all the straight people go. How they determined that, I don't know. Probably straight people just said, I'm straight, you know, because they were man and woman or whatever. And went to jail and stayed there overnight. And uh, the next day, it was on the front page of the paper, and a lot of people lost their jobs because they, and they, we were all charged with lewd dancing which is amazing to me because I've never danced lewd and I still don't, I wouldn't even know how. But um, they charged everybody with the same thing. You know, that's what they did in raids. According to the Times-Picayune, the charge was obscenity. The Vice Squad showed up at 940 St. Ferdinand after complaints of alleged lesbian activity. We couldn't find Charlene's picture on the front page of the paper, but according to Diane, Ellen, and Mary Capps, Charlene lost her high security job at Mishu after her sexuality was publicly exposed. I mean, it totally destroyed her life. You know, she went to be a basket case because everything that she ever worked for was taken away from her. You know, which was really a sad thing. You know, other people had things taken away from them, but I don't think it was as bad as Charlene. Charlene really got raked over the coals because of her 
high clearance, you know, and uh, the people that she worked with and the secrets that she knew, you know, so it was really, really bad. After losing everything to institutionalized homophobia, Charlene made a rather unorthodox decision. She opened a lesbian bar. We've heard a lot about Charlene's. In fact, it's probably the bar we've heard the most about. Charlene opened up in 1977 and stayed in business until 1999, making hers the longest continuously open lesbian bar in New Orleans. This, by the way, is our second of three pieces highlighting a few of the 70s and 80s scenes most well-attended bars. And from what we can tell, Charlene's was high on the list. It wasn't just a bar, it was an institution. And Charlene herself was quite a memorable character. Here's May Lazama. She was taller than I, but she was tall, very skinny, always skinny, skinny. Um, you know, I mean, you could tell that um, she'd been in a lot of bars because she just kind of had that kind of grayish tone to her. Cigarettes, cigarettes. Ellen Rabin. Charlene was always a very honest person, so she didn't rape people off for the price of drinks and stuff. So she never made a lot of money in, in our business. You know, she supplied people the most happiness they could have because they had some place to go. You know. And she was a real good woman. Max Eisler. I mean, I can remember this one time I went to the bar, and at some point she started having a cover charge, I guess because she wasn't making enough off of alcohol, and she also started having a DJ. And I didn't have any money, and she gave me $10 so I could go into the bar. Charlene and did? Charlene did, and she, she never let me pay her back. She talked, she smiled. Her voice had a smile on it. That's what that, Charlene and I know. Her voice had a smile, and she was just real, that's all, yeah. God. Alda Talley was a bartender at Charlene's. Charlene was a mother in a lot of ways that way, and you got fussed at, and you got calmed down for shit, and you got told what you were going to show up for, and, you know, and she would, I mean, she would give you all the right reasons for doing it, but she was a force. And then Brady Oliver. The cops were still arresting people, gay people, for obstruction on the sidewalk. And, you know, we had no rights. I mean, they were sacrificing so much, and they essentially said we should get up off our butts. <laughs> Um, well, Charlene bought the place because it had a, a checkered floor, little old-fashioned tiles, and the tiles had C's on them. They were, it was a black and white floor, and it was a total dive. I mean, it had not been, nothing had been done to it, maybe ever. I always liked being in Charlene's, you know, a bunch of friendly people, and you know, uh, Charlene didn't do anything to the place when she opened. She went in and cleaned up, and they opened their doors. The, the, the 
women had a harder time than the men had because, you know, the women didn't have money to go in and redo a place when they opened it. So this wasn't Charlene's fault. Right. You know, it was a very old building, so you can't say ever, but the building, I'm sure, was from the mid-1800s, but the bar could have been from 1920, 1930, you know. It was a neighborhood bar, and still looks like a neighborhood bar. I mean, she put in some tables in the front, and in the back there was a jukebox and a pool table. And as the years went on, she tried to do some improvements, making the tables nicer, the seating area. I think she got some booths, and she got like a DJ booth. You know, she started having DJs. It was like walking into a clubhouse of this club that you go on to your entire life. I mean, I can just say it was just open arms. And um, I think from that very first night, you know, I met uh, women who I ended up being friends with. You know, probably, I mean, I'm saying I still know them, but I never see them anymore. But if I ran into them today, we'd still be friends. You know? um, and, uh, but I can remember how scary that was. If I just imagine, like, a Saturday night at Charlene's, um, there would be just women in all the professions, and women in, you know, with all kinds of different jobs and socioeconomic classes. There, there were social groups, but there weren't, there, there weren't a lot of groups that were distinctly different other ones. When you went to Charlene's, you went to um, be with everybody else. You went because you wanted to go out and have a good time on Saturday night. What was the music playing there? I like the women quite varied. It was a jukebox. It was a jukebox, <laughs> and the jukebox had, um, you know, like some of the top forty of the day. It had um, some country and western on it. Um, there was always a couple of Elvis Presley songs. Um, there was, you know, there's some Patsy Cline, and it was a real. Um, it was a real mixture of stuff. But probably what most of it had in common was that it was danceable, whether fast or slow, it was danceable. Um, and there wasn't anything that Charlene didn't like. And if Charlene, if a, somebody played a song that Charlene was tired of hearing or whatever, um, she had a button. She had a reject button. She'd, she'd reject that button. Everybody would dance together. That was the fun part about it. Everybody would dance together. You know, um, on the, the jukebox would um, would come come something like um, what is it, Gloria Gaynor's "I Will Survive." You know, and everybody would just get into it and. Um, 
just sing it and sing along and dance and um, it was um, you know and, and you knew they were they were singing um, they were singing something beyond just a good beat it's like I'm in a lesbian bar damn it I'm a gay woman I'm a lesbian woman and I'm gonna sing out loud and I'm gonna survive, honey. I'm gonna I'm gonna flourish. I'm gonna have a good time. I'm gonna be out and loud and proud. I'm here. You can't bug me. Oh my gosh, she she would say. Yeah, I mean she's old school and everything. She, oh, you know, those lesbian lemonists. You know, the, the lesbian people, she she always said the lesbian lemonists, you know. She is funny. She looked out after everybody. To everybody, yeah. Um, Shirley had this microphone, <laughs> yeah. And when she'd want to make an announcement, you know, on her mic, it was her bar, she could do anything she wanted. But um, she said, she'd get on the microphone and we'd laugh because she couldn't get our attention. And she'd go, now y'all shut up! And act like ladies. And everybody would shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wasn't a joke with Charlene. Shut up, you know? I mean, her definition of being a lady is be a fucking lady. You get the picture. She didn't give it. She didn't care. Be a lady. Shut up and listen to me. We, we had some great... We really did. We really did. I'm not just saying that. People that cared. Not just about the gay community, but about people, period. A lot of them would make sacrifices to help somebody. I mean, personal sacrifice to help somebody. You know, someone or whatever. Do you think people felt more inclined to help each other out because of being gay women and not having those yeah, resources? Especially if, especially if they were rejected by their family. It wasn't just Charlene looking out for people. Her bartenders truly cared about their customers, especially Charlene's sister, Diane Schneider. Because I can tell you, I have seen so many bartenders be rude to women that they thought weren't attractive, you know? And, and I saw that with my own eyes at other bars before I started working at Charlene's, and I knew it. Was, I knew it. That people were capable of that. Who was it? Alda was telling me she felt like that, like rejected when she was first around gay people. Even if I had to drag them myself on the dance floor to make them feel at ease, that they're home, they can be relaxed, nobody's going to call you, mama, you know. Charlene's earned institutional status in New Orleans lesbian community, not only because of its longevity and invariably fun atmosphere, but also because of Charlene's commitment to activism. Here's Liz again. Because by the time I got into um, being an activist, a real community activist, um, it was Charlene's that was the bar to go to. 
and she was also the person who would help with fundraisers and allow us to have, um, you know, meetings at a bar, and um, so she she allowed a lot of, and she she would preach political activism to her constituents. So here were people who would come from, you know, West Wego and Guerrero and Slidell and, you know, places that they, they just wouldn't get involved or they weren't involved. And she would talk to them about why they should be involved. But while Charlene's was a safe haven for many women, others felt less welcome. I don't think the class thing really came into play. It was really mixed, at least in Charlene's. But race, I mean, it was, it was just like the rest of New Orleans. I mean, it wasn't legal segregation, but people were still really segregated. Now, every once in a while, there were African-Americans that came into the bar, but it didn't seem like it was very frequent. While some black women did occasionally show up at Charlene's, they rarely did it alone. Mostly if they came, it was with their white friends and partners. Black women we talked to said people were friendly enough, but sometimes they felt tokenized and that they were definitely in the minority. Alda speculated that in her time as bartender, Charlene intentionally suppressed music that would appeal to black patrons. So all told, Charlene's was a white bar. New Orleans' first black-owned lesbian bar, Les Pierre's, opened in the 80s, just around the corner from Charlene's. We'll hear about it on our next episode. Charlene moved to Bay St. Louis after closing the bar in 1999. In 2006, when she was 66 years old, she died of lung cancer. Charlene's served the white lesbian community for 22 years, bringing thousands of women through the doors of 940 Elysian Fields. The space has changed hands a couple of times since Charlene's folded in 1999, but remains a gay bar. Today, the clientele is primarily white gay men and tourists floating over from the French Quarter. Thank you for listening to Last Call. This episode featured the voices of Diane Schneider, Alan Rabin, Alda Talley, Max Seisler, May Lazama, and Liz Simone. This podcast is produced by Rachel Lee, Peter Bowling, and myself, Free For All. Peter and I do the music. Interviews by Rachel Lee, Hannah Pepper Cunningham, Bonnie Gable, and Sarah Pick. We have recently set up a Google Voice account where you can tell us your stories or give us your feedback and suggestions. The number is 504-507-0364. And of course, you can always send us an email or a voice memo through the email at dykebarpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-Y-K-E-B-A-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T 
at gmail.com. And we'll be happy to include it in the show somewhere along the line. Last Call's core organizers are Rachel Lee, Bonnie Gable, Aaron Roussel, Bear A. Bear, Blue Rain, and Sarah Pick. Stay tuned to lastcallnola.org for future episodes, bonus pieces, and for information about the theater project to which this podcast is a companion piece. So, love you, bye. <laughs> this concludes our session for today. <laughs> hey, precious love poo-poo baby. Hey, podcast listeners, just another quick reminder about alleged lesbian activities, the theater piece going up this week, January 14th, 15th, and 16th at the Theater on St. Claude, 2240 St. Claude. New Orleans, Louisiana. All that information is on our website again, lastcallnola.org. Thanks a lot.